Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. A deal reached at Ford's giant local in Kentucky after threatening to walk out this week. Meanwhile, the attacks on the National Labor Relations Board continue. And today on the show, the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO and Teamsters ready to strike at a Detroit refinery. Welcome to the Thursday, February 22nd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Mr. Bill Samuel will be our first guest on the show. He serves as Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. Complete updates go to aflcio.org. And uh, I talked to Bill the other day, and he said, Flash, I'm telling you, there really isn't much to bring to the table because nothing is getting done in Congress. It is the least productive Congress since FDR. So we're going back many, many years here. Now, we will talk about the impending funding deadlines, possible shutdowns, and pretty much what many call Republican dysfunction because of a few people on the hard right who are pretty much shutting everything down. And a good example of that is this border deal. Many were of the opinion that if the Democrats and the Republicans got together, crafted a deal, compromised on both sides, they'd be able to come to some resolve. And they were almost there until Donald Trump said, no, pull the deal. Let me do this when I become president. That's pretty much what happened here in the last couple of weeks. Meanwhile, Pew Research did some uh, polling on this, and they found, yeah, there's a lot of Americans, 78% say there's a problem at the border. However, there is no single policy proposal that anybody can agree on. One thing did stand out in that survey. A 60% majority of Americans, so three out of five, say that increasing the number of immigration judges and staff in order to make decisions on asylum more quickly would make the situation better. And we've done several shows with the immigration judges who are part of a union. So we'll get in all of that with uh, Bill Samuel. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Steve Hicks. Now, Steve is president of Teamsters Local 283, and they're based in Detroit, Michigan. He's been president for uh, 28 years, and they have a problem at the Marathon Petroleum Refinery in Detroit. The problem's so bad that they voted by an overwhelming margin, 95% to go on strike. We're talking... uh, 273 Teamsters who work in a wide variety of classifications, including board operators, field operators, chemists, lab technicians, electricians, and mechanics. The most recent contract just expired at the end of last month. And Steve is quoted as saying, though Marathon Petroleum made nearly $10 billion in profit last year on the backs of Teamsters, the company claims not having enough money to pay their workers. And right now, they are offering a 2% pay raise. They will not give a schedule 
that allows any life balance, which is really, really popular right now. They will not give MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day, a holiday. And uh, they did bump in the last negotiation session. They offered a 2.5% raise, but then they are asking the uh, workers to pay more for health care, so it's a wash. Altogether, uh, Local 283 represents more than 800 workers in a variety of industries in and around Detroit. So Steve Hicks, who is president of Local 283, will be joining us later in the show. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Well, after months of negotiations over local issues, UAW Local 862 has reached a tentative local agreement with Ford, thus averting a potential strike that was set for midnight tonight. Workers at the plant, which is Ford's most profitable plant, were set to walk off the job over local issues, health and safety, ergonomics, things like that. The deal, which is tentative, addresses these and other core issues of concern, according to the UAW. Now, mind you, There are dozens of remaining open local agreements across the big three automakers. While the national contracts were ratified last fall after the union stand-up strike secured record contracts. There have been several constitutional attacks on the National Labor Relations Board. And this week, SpaceX, which is owned by Elon Musk, got a small victory when the Fifth Circuit Court temporarily halted the transfer of its lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the labor board from Texas all the way to California. Judge Rolando Oliveira, an Obama appointee to the Southern District of Texas, had previously granted the labor board's request to send the case to California. The order effectively transferred the case from the Fifth Circuit's jurisdiction to the Ninth Circuit, where the law is less favorable for SpaceX's constitutional claims against the NLRB. Well, the Fifth Circuit halted the transfer in a one-sentence order saying the move is stayed pending further order of this court. This is pretty common. They call this uh, court shopping or judge shopping, if you will, because there are courts that are more liberal than others, and the Ninth Circuit is definitely in that category. Trader Joe's has asked the Ninth Circuit, by the way, to revive its trademark lawsuit against Trader Joe's United, the union representing the workers at four stores. The company claims that the union's logo is too similar to the store's logo, thus creating possible confusion among customers. Well, last month, a federal district judge not only dismissed those claims, but warned Trader Joe's that it was dangerously close to deserving sanctions for filing a frivolous lawsuit. Unions and employers around the country say they will monitor the appeal very, very closely. Meanwhile, Starbucks has violated federal labor law yet again, this according to an administrative law judge's decision. Last week, the judge ruled that the company illegally fired two union supporters at a Willamette, Illinois store after they initiated a union drive and spoke to their co-workers about joining Starbucks Workers United. Now, these violations are part of a pattern since the union began organizing at Starbucks. Since that started, the company 
has been found to violate the law in 98% of its hearings before the Labor Board. 98%. In September, one administrative law judge noted Starbucks demonstrated proclivity for violating the National Labor Relations Act, citing 31 prior cases on grounds for imposing a broad and extraordinary cease and desist order against the company. They just don't care. They just don't care. Well, as you know, February is Black History Month, and what we've been doing throughout the month is profiling a number of black leaders. And today, it's Rebecca, or better known as Becky Pringle, who is president of the National Education Association. Becky Pringle has a long list of leadership and advocacy roles within the organization. Her path began when she was elected as a local president. From there, she served on the NEA Board of Directors, Pennsylvania State Education Association, and the uh, NEA's Executive Committee. She was also elected as both the Secretary Treasurer and Vice President of the organization. Some of her greatest successes in her various roles have included helping to create the union's what they call school-to-prison pipeline policy statement and leading the production of the union's policy statement on teacher evaluation and accountability. Her accomplishments, well, they have earned her a number of accolades, including Women of Power Award, that was from the National Action Network, and Community Woman of the Year by the American Association of University Women. So today we salute Becky Pringle, head of the NEA, which has over 3 million members. And speaking of which, next week on Tuesday on America's Workforce, we are going to feature Princess Moss, who is Becky's vice president. That'll be on uh, Tuesday's America's Workforce and archived on AWF Podcast. All right, quick break. Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and 
Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Before we get to uh, Bill Samuel of the AFL-CIO, I want to do another plug here for the Alliance for American Manufacturing, which has been promoting a film that will be premiered in Cleveland, Ohio on Monday. It's called Relighting the Flame, and it's Cleveland's inspiring chant for communities all across America to reclaim their industry. And this is a bunch of workers talking that were uh, involved in steel back in the 90s when you saw plant after plant after plant going belly up. LTV, Jones and Lachlan, Bethlehem Steel. I remember when I started the show back in 1998, Dave McCall was on almost every day talking about that. And if it wasn't for the steel workers working with industry, we probably wouldn't even have a, a steel industry today. It's a heck of a story. And again, it's going to be Monday, February 26th. Doors open at 4.30, showtime at 5. And uh, Scott Paul of the Alliance for American Manufacturing will be in the audience. In fact, they're going to do a little Q&A along with Dave McCall of the Steelworkers, now president, and the uh, Cleveland Clicks chair and CEO. And I can't even pronounce his name, Lorenzo Gonzalez. I probably butchered that. But anyway, they're all going to be in the audience, and that's going to be Monday. And here's a uh, website. To get tickets, if there's any left, relightingtheflamefilm.com, relightingtheflamefilm.com. Let's go to our live line now and join Bill Samuel. And you're telling me off the air that, wait, you have a relationship. You hired Scott Paul some years ago? What's the story on that, Bill? That's right. He was a young congressional aide. Uh, I hired him to be our trade lobbyist at the AFL-CIO in the early 2000s, probably around 2000. And Two, and he stayed with us for a number of years. He was a, obviously a really talented young man. He's, he then went, I think he went directly to, the, uh, to, to where he is now at uh, AM, and uh, he's done a great job there. And, and he's really shown how industry and labor can work together, you know, for the, uh, to improve the lives of working families in, that, in the steel industry and other manufacturing um, sectors. So he's, he's done a great job. We're really proud of him. Yeah, yeah. And the steel industry, more productive than anywhere in the world, the domestic steel industry. It's so important we get that point across. Uh, Relightingtheflamefilm.com. Do check that out. There's a trailer there. You could hear some of those workers talking. And uh, by the way, Carl Chris, if you get a chance, Carl Chris, who is the guy that put the documentary together, was on our show on Tuesday. And you can uh, check that out at awfpodcast.com. 
All right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about nothing happening. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, that, that's the story in Washington today, Bill. What what the heck is going on here? That, that is a great lead-in. Uh, well, we have we're we're looking now at the least productive Congress probably since before FDR was president. So we're looking at maybe close to ninety years. Uh, they've passed fewer bills. Uh, they can't even perform the basic functions of government. Um, and I blame this way more on the House, House of Representatives, which, you know, the Republicans uh, now are supposed to be running under their second speaker, um, Mike Johnson from Louisiana. Um, they haven't passed a government-wide funding bill. They're, w- they're months and months behind schedule. Uh, I feel a little bit like the boy who cried wolf, but we're looking at another potential shutdown in just a week, a week from tomorrow, actually, March 1st, that's when the current extension expires. You know, they keep passing these temporary funding bills just to keep the lights on. Um, a lot of stories today in the press uh, and this week that, that the Freedom Caucus, the right-wing extreme caucus of the Republican Party, they're digging in their heels. Uh, they're not going to vote for appropriation bills that are necessary to keep government running. And we may we may see a shutdown. Maybe it'll be short term. Maybe not. You know, the Trump when Trump was president, there was a 35 day government shutdown. It wasn't government wide at that time because some of the appropriation bills funding some agencies and programs had passed by then. But this year, as as we speak, no appropriation bills, annual appropriation appropriation bills have passed. So we could be looking at a government wide shutdown probably for the first time. So right now, nobody is trying to compromise on this issue, it sounds like? Well, I, mean, I think on, on funding levels, they're getting closer. And by the way, Democrats have been willing to kind of suck it up and uh, agree to bills that they wouldn't ordinarily agree to if they were in charge. Um, basically, sort of level funding government programs, even as inflation and pay raises and prices go up. So in other words, we're essentially cutting programs by keeping funding static. And we're now in the second year of, of that. Um, and Democrats will agree to that just to, again, just to keep the basic function uh, of government uh, going. And Republicans say, no, we want to cut A and B. We want policy riders. We want to put restrictions on abortion funding, on, uh, you know, uh, DEI programs. They're looking at sort of their um, the ideological base and trying to use the appropriation bills um, to, to, to pass things that would ordinarily not pass. And by the way, you know, President Biden's been very clear. He's not going to sign a bill that ha- includes those policy riders. Um, they've even tried to defund the NLRB completely. Mm. Um, so, you know, they're far apart. I think Democrats have shown a willingness to compromise. And frankly, because there are so many Republicans who, won't, who just don't want to pa- vote for government funding bills, period, no matter what they include, this compromise is going to take Democratic votes, which gives Democrats obviously some leverage here. If they're going to, if they're going to be dependent on to keep the government running, they're going to, you know, they're going to be able to say, well, we don't want those policy riders, and we want to see some uh, funding uh, increases in, in key programs. Um, we'll see. I mean, we're a week away. We've been here before. This, as I said, they've blown through three deadlines already: September, November, January, and now we're into March. This is the fourth deadline. March 1st. We'll see if they make it. Um, but it's no way to run a country, that's for sure. No, no. 
Can you be specific on what they actually want to cut? I mean, you mentioned like eliminating the National Labor Relations Board, and I want to talk more about that too because I don't know if you've been following this. There's been some uh, constitutional attacks on the Labor Board. Oh, yeah, and these are, sure. Yeah, these are coming from uh, SpaceX, Amazon, Trader Joe's, uh, yeah. a number of companies that are oh. facing you know union drives here. A lot but, of very well-known brands probably yeah. like to hold themselves out as – you know, relatively uh, people-friendly, and in fact, <laughs> they're they're as anti-worker as they come. Um, they, they're now arguing for the first time since the National Labor Relations Board was established in 1935 that it's un, an unconstitutional agency. It has too much power. It gives too much power to the uh, board members, to the president, to appoint board members, uh, and they're trying to essentially dismantle it with a constitutional challenge. We don't think that's going to work. I mean, keep your fingers crossed with the Supreme Court. You never know if the case even gets there. Um, but that's what they're trying. I mean, Elon Musk has been very clear. He does not uh, approve of unions, and he will do anything he can to keep them out at Tesla. And But I think he may have met his match in uh, President Sean Fain of the auto workers. Uh, you know, I, I, Sean Fain has said, we're going to organize Tesla and Hyundai and Toyota and VW and the other foreign transplants that are non-union. It's going to be quite a quite a showdown. Oh yeah. Oh, and they're making tremendous progress in Chattanooga at the the VW plant, which, mm-hmm. as you know, that was a failed union drive about ten years ago. I would say it failed in part because the governor um, used his power to run against the uh, the, un- the UAW. They put up uh, billboards, government government paid for billboards <laughs> against the union. Yeah. Yeah, and they said they were going to send the jobs to Mexico too. I mean, and VW wanted the union back then they, they, because they have that workers' council That's in right Germany. In Europe, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. They they have it's been very successful. They got union members on their board. They work together to get things done. They're very profitable. They wanted to do the same thing here, and the lawmaker said no. No, we we don't work that way. That's right. Oh, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So anyway, can, uh, it's getting back to uh, the cuts here beyond the, uh, the labor board. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure they want to target OSHA. A- anything that, you know, that helps people. It sounds like they want to kind of at least chop the budget or do away with them altogether. Is that, yeah, well, they want to do away with, uh, job training programs for, uh, adults and, and, uh, and youth. They want to, uh, gut head start, child nutrition, maternal health. I'm just going through a few of the highlights here. Uh, they want, they want to cut Amtrak by 64%. It's not only important for transportation, the environment, it's also employs a lot of people. Uh, they want to cut title one education. That's K through 12 by 80%. And, and as I said, there, there have been versions of this, which would eliminate the NLRB, the current proposal on the table is to cut it by 28%. This is at a time when we have record organizing uh, and unfair labor practice charges pending. So it's, you know, they're trying to uh, get at the, the growth and, uh, you know, sort of new, new aggressiveness of unions by cutting the agency that protects workers. Um, they yeah. want to wipe out the Job Corps completely, uh, eliminate the Women's Bureau. That's at the Department of Labor. So, I mean, it's a very long list. I could, we could take the rest of the morning going over it. Now, Democrats are not, you know, they're not uh, uh, going to sit back and, and, uh, and allow this to happen. As I said, they need Democratic votes because there are, there's a, a good number of Republicans who just won't vote to fund the government. That They just come here as a, you know, part of their, I guess their promise back home is they're not going to vote for any appropriation bills. Mm-hmm. So the Democrats have some uh, some leverage here, and we'll see 
you know, whether they can um, stick it out and get a decent compromise by next Friday. Otherwise, they're going to turn off the lights. They're going to shut down the government. Bill, do you think this attack on uh, primarily workers is in response to what happened last year? There was a lot of organizing. There were a lot of strikes, and there were a lot of people that got nice raises. UAW, the Teamsters, my union, SAG-AFTRA, they were dealing with artificial intelligence. And then the polling shows an overwhelming support for unions, like like 70% right now. Is this part of the uh, dynamics right now, why, why they're pushing back? I think part of it's a backlash, but part of it is just the rightward uh, drift uh, of the Republican Party. You know, the parties are now very far apart on issues like how they uh, deal with unions. Democrats, you know, we've talked about this before, the legislation that would reform and strengthen the labor laws, the PRO Act. Just about Mm -hmm. every Democrat in the House and Senate is a co-sponsor and would vote for it or has voted for it. I could count the number of Republicans on one hand. You know, there are 221 Republicans in the House. I think we have maybe three supporters. It didn't used to be that way. You know, we can talk about the way things were 30 years ago when, you know, plenty of Republicans supported labor. They've been driven out of the party. Um, and, they're, you know, as you, I'm sure, have seen, moderates of all stripes have been driven out of the Republican Party. Um, but again, I think you're right. Part of it is a, a backlash against the, um, the fact that unions are stronger, the public is more supportive, particularly young people. Huge majorities of young voters and young workers uh, believe in unions, want to join unions, or trying to form unions. You know, from college athletes to museum workers to IT workers, people who who are in the, are in the gaming industry. You know, there's a lot of organizing. I know you've reported on that, and I think that is scaring Republicans. I think they see maybe they maybe they realize their their days are numbered. Um, not not really sure. I think all those things together have have led yeah, to this. Yeah. Uh, this show, this kind of showdown. Yeah. Right. Bill Samuel, serving as government affairs director of the AFL-CIO for complete updates. Check out AFLCIO.org. When we come back, we're going to talk about the border situation. And later in the show, we're going to check in with Teamsters Local 283 out of Detroit. They have a problem at Marathon Oil. And Steve Hicks, their president, is going to tell us all about it. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form 
and a local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit bacweb.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate it. Those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. In fact, we have to do a salute to the OFT. They start their biennial convention in Columbus, Ohio, today. Today and through tomorrow and probably Saturday morning as well. Let's go back to our uh, live line and rejoin Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO, where he serves as government affairs director. And uh, you're telling me off the air that once again, they're trying to get rid of uh, Julie Sue. Now, Julie Sue is the acting labor secretary, and that's primarily because she doesn't have enough votes in the Senate. But uh, what's what's going to happen here next week, Bill? Well, I think she's probably still at least one vote short in the Senate. And unfortunately, I think that vote may be Joe Manchin, who has not been willing to support her. He is a Democrat and we have 51 Democrats in the Senate. Um she is acting, as you said, since last, I think, April uh, or so, when Marty Walsh, the uh, last confirmed labor secretary, left. Um, she's been acting. She's doing a great job. People really respect her. Um, she's, a, she's, in, she's a very tough, enforcement-minded secretary, you know, making sure people are paid what they're owed and work the hours that they're promised and that their pensions and health care are protected. That's where she's spent a lot of her time and, and funding and, and overseeing a big increase in job training, apprenticeships. She's really, she's, she's, a, she's a great labor secretary. Um, officially, she's acting. You know, we, we call her Secretary Sue. But that was last year. She, was, uh, um, she moved up when Marty Walsh left. So this year, she's been renominated. Um, by President Biden. There'll be another markup in the Labor Committee, and she'll be reported out favorably, but she'll get stuck on the floor again because she she probably doesn't have the 50 uh, votes that she needs um, with the vice president breaking the tie. Um, so she'll remain acting probably through the end of this uh, term, uh, which is very unusual, um, but that's allowed under the Labor Department statute. She can continue to serve as acting secretary, so it'll be you know, almost two years, which is unfortunate. In some ways, she doesn't have 100% of the authority and power and a confirmed secretary would have, but it's pretty darn close, and she's, and she's exercising, exercising the power she has to the fullest, and we think she's doing a great job. So, unfortunately, she won't get, probably won't get confirmed. We'll keep pushing, um, and if uh, folks out there want to write letters uh, on her behalf, they should do that. I remember uh, the AFL-CIO had a uh, homepage. It was right on their homepage trying to get people, you know, on 
on board to make sure yeah. that they can push this over. And it it's just, I mean, Joe Manchin, he's a stick in the mud. He did announce he's not going to run as an independent for president. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do when his term expires. I don't know that he'll be campaigning for Joe Biden. I mean, West Virginia is a tough state to be a Democrat in, obviously. Um, but not running, he could, he could uh, join his party, rejoin his party, and at least vote to confirm the president's nominees. That's, that used to be kind of a an easy vote. You know, the president yeah. gets to choose who he wants in his cabinet or her cabinet, but uh, Senator Manchin's holding out. Key word there used to be an easy vote. Nothing's easy anymore in Washington. Mm-hmm. Nothing's easy. And it's primarily because of a few very loud voices there. All right, let's switch up over to the, the border situation. It's kind of interesting to note because, you know, after this deal blew up, and there was a lot of compromise on behalf of the White House on it, you know, to try to get aid to Ukraine in there. And uh, they were going to beef up border security. I know the union that represents the border agents, they were happy. And then all of a sudden, Donald Trump said, no, no, we don't want to give a win to the Democrats on this one. And so it kind of fell apart. Have you noticed, Bill, you don't see too much uh, media on the border right now. It's almost like <laughs> like the like the situation has gone away. Uh, have you noticed that? In the yeah, you know, it's a funny here? it's a funny thing. It's it's really tragic. But the the way the media has covered this, in part, has to do with how much Republicans and others are focusing on it. Remember, before the last election, Donald Trump was talking about the 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 uh, caravan, or I can't remember what he called it, <laughs> approaching the border. Yeah, uh, yeah and Fox yeah. News ran it every day, and they showed you know, videos of people, uh, big crowds uh, approaching uh, the southern border. And then after the election, the story stopped. There was no, you know, there was no huge increase in in, in uh, illegal border crossings. Part of it, I think, is the way the, the conservative media covers it and the fact that, you know, Trump and, and his allies, sometimes they focus on it, sometimes they don't. It is a problem. I mean, we need to improve our border um, policies, but a lot of that has to do with just putting more money behind the, as you said, the asylum program so that we can handle those cases quickly. Um, you know, there, there, there are a lot of jobs that uh, immigrant workers could fill, particularly if they were full-time permanent jobs that uh, where they could get work authorization and union protection, and we were certainly for that. Um, and we could improve conditions in the countries where they're fleeing, uh, you know, very dangerous conditions terrible poverty. I mean, we should be helping out there as well, if, especially if we want to keep them from uh, you know, traveling north. We could be, you know, that would be a smart way to handle the problem. Simply building a wall isn't going to do it. I mean, that's no. just not a solution, and we've made that case for years, and we'll see. Donald Trump is probably still going to run on that uh, issue, and it seems to work for him, in, at least among some groups. Um, but, but it's a tragic situation. There's a, again, uh, people are desperate, uh, and we should be helping them in any way we can. Pew Research did some polling on this, and I, I think they're very, very reputable on uh, what they have done over the years on various issues. I know they've done a lot of polling on unions and workers in general. And they found out that uh, a majority of Americans, 60 percent, said that increasing the number of immigration judges and staff in order to make decisions on asylum more quickly would make the situation better. Only 11 percent say it would make it worse, while 14% think it would not make much of a difference. And also 56% said creating more opportunities for people to legally immigrate to the U.S. would make the situation a whole lot better. But on the judges here, I want to focus on that because they have a union, 
And they're part of the, uh, uh, let's see, that's the IFPTE. That's the uh, Professional Engineers Union. And right. I know they were, boy, they were in a tug of war. And they still may have not been able to uh, escape what happened, what Trump did when he was president. He pretty much tried to decertify them because he said, well, you guys are judges. You shouldn't be in a union. And we've had Mimi Sankoff on the show a couple of times, and I know their their workload is, like, ridiculous. It's like two or three years out. Um, to your knowledge, you know, this, this border bill, were they going to increase the amount of immigration judges in that? Did you, was that in, in the last I, I think there was quite a bit of money for personnel, not, not only border patrol, you know, agents, law enforcement types, but for those who would consider these asylum claims and handle appeals. I, you know, it's a, I'm not sure because we never saw the full details of this compromise, whether they would go directly to more judges or they would create a new core of uh, decision makers just below that level. Um, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a good first try at a compromise. And, of course, as you mentioned a minute ago, uh, Trump would rather have the issue than solve the problem before the election. And that's, I think that's going to come back to bite him because I think people realize that. Um, and certainly Democrats are going to make that, make that case very plainly in the, upcoming, in the upcoming campaign. So the way the situation is in Washington because of what happened a couple of weeks ago, this bill is dead in the water. Can we pretty much say that for the rest of this year? I think there will be no border legislation now. There's, you know, sort of rumors around town that President Biden is going to use some of his executive authority to put in place what he can from that compromise. We'll have to see what that includes. Um, you know, we have a lot of faith in President to treat this problem uh, you know, humanely, this is a humanitarian crisis. People are fleeing violence and uh, natural disasters, poverty. Um, you know, and, and again, our country can absorb a lot of people. You know, it's, it's, we have 140 million, a workforce of 140 million, uh, you know, a static population and, and, and lots of, lots of uh, employment opportunities. Um, but we just don't have a way to match people from who are who may be able to take those jobs and give them the full protections because they don't have work authorization. Um, so a lot has to happen, but I think President Biden is going to try to fix it as best he can using his executive authority. But as you say, I don't think Congress is going to act. I mean, they can't, they can't fund the government. Dealing with immigration is a lot harder, so it's unlikely in the next few months. What about uh, temporary protection status? I mean, I know that's been used a lot. Is that uh, is that happening right now or that's no? an issue? There are there are a number of countries that have temporary protective status. Those are again uh, people fleeing natural disasters. They're they're allowed into the country and they're given work authorizations for a year or two years while things uh, are addressed back home. Um, it's running out for some. Immigrant workers, uh, immigrant families, we'd like to see it extended. Um, there are other countries that probably should have temporary protective status or uh, individuals who are coming from those countries. They're not, they're not big numbers, um, but, it's, it's, again, it's part of the, you know, our humanitarian response, which America has, uh, you know, followed for a century. And in, in this particular climate, I think there's a lot less uh, of a willingness to do that. So, but temporary protective status like DACA, you know, for kids who came here when they were young, uh, uh, giving them uh, the opportunity to become citizens. There are a lot of things the president can do um, that, you know, are sort of temporary fixes, but we do need Congress to act. Yeah, I hear you. There's a lot of good information on the AFL-CIO homepage uh, on, on immigration. In fact, we had Fred Redmond on the show. Fred, of course, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, talking about it. And there's a page that you can download, 
and it shows the AFL-CIO position on this issue. I'm going to leave it on that note, my friend. You take care. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. You take care. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next month, okay? Looking forward to it. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Steve Hicks is the president of Teamsters Local 283 in Detroit, and they have a huge problem with Marathon Oil. He'll talk about it next on the show. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to Detroit, Michigan right now, a state that is no longer a right-to-work state because of a number of unions, including the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. They did a great job turning that around. And joining us on our live line right now, is Steve Hicks, who's been a member of the Teamsters for almost 44 years, 28 of those years, as president of Local 283. And Steve, welcome to the show. I'm reading on the Teamster website. We're uh, we're looking at about 800 workers altogether in 283. Is that right? Is that pretty accurate? That is correct. Okay, good, good, good. What made you get involved with the Teamsters? I mean, 1980, that was a long time ago, brother. What got you going in that direction? Well, um, Birmingham Chrysler Plymouth, uh, I was employed there, and the Teamsters were um, 
part of that um, company, but the employees. Okay. And and how's 283 been doing for you in the last, uh, well, as president in the last 20? Not, not right now dealing with Marathon. That's another <laughs> issue. But ov- overall, how's it been? It's been a wonderful ride. Uh, I've been voted back in nine times by the membership. Um, I'm on my 28th year and um, my ninth term. I'm the longest serving um, teamster president in Michigan. Well, obviously, you're doing the right things over there for your members, so congratulations on that. All right, let's talk about this strike vote at uh, Marathon Petroleum's Detroit Refinery, and I see the vote was uh, 95% to authorize a strike. What the heck is going on there, Steve? Well, Marathon has offered our members a 2% wage increase. As you know, inflation was sky high in 2022 and 2023 at the beginning. Um, as you can see, most of the people here in Detroit, the unions are um, receiving good wages to keep up with inflation. The casino workers received around an 18% increase on the first year. Airline pilots have received a 42% increase. UPS received a very um, deserved raise. The unions are receiving pretty good wages to keep up with inflation right now. And, and um Marathon Refinery has refused to do that. In one quarter alone, they made $17.4 billion. They've given our, their CEOs millions of dollars. They've given their shareholders millions of dollars. And they need to do the same thing for their workers here in Detroit of the 280 employees. They deserve a decent raise. They also, in the middle of Detroit here, this company has refused to give Martin Luther King as a holiday for the employees there. We think he's a big insult to uh, a great leader, such as Martin Luther King. He's done great things throughout his lifetime. And their scheduling scheduling is unbelievable because they work four days, they're off four days, and then they are on four days. The problem with those four days is they go from days to midnights. The members there are, are if they force them in on their those four days off when they're supposed to be switching their sleep pattern, it's um they're always tired. We don't think that's a very good thing for you know half the people in it that are running the boards to be tired all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're running a refinery here. I, I mean that that's uh, I would say that's a pretty dangerous profession, wouldn't you? It it they have a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of dangerous chemicals in that place. And, yes, they should be um, not tired all the time. No, no. And, and being, you know, the, the life balance issue is a huge issue today. I mean, a lot of uh, unions have put that in their uh, in their collective bargaining agreements because it's important that you have that, that flexibility so you can take care of your family, okay? Uh, obviously, you want a good union job like you're getting over at uh, 283, and you want to be able to spend some time with your family in, in, in working both ends there. So, so I get it. Let me ask you this, Steve, um, has, has, have things changed at marathon? And I bring this up. We had a conversation yesterday with uh, one of the pilots at Omni air and he's the guy that, that heads their union too. And a longtime pilot and uh, same thing, same thing you're going through. It's everything. No, we can't do this. We can't do that profitable. But in that case, there was a company that, uh, went, they were private and they went public and they're playing hardball. Now marathon, there's a big player, 
big player for years. And as you mentioned, too, they're making a whole lot of money. Um, is this? I mean, how long have you had a relationship with them? And did this just turn sour in recent years? Can you talk about that? Marathon's a very hard company to deal with. They make a lot of money. In the last, I would say, 10 years, it's gone kind of sour. They don't respect employees, even though they talk about they want them to have a good life balance. If you have, I mean, it sounds wonderful to have four days off, you know. But yeah, yeah. If, you, if they force you in on two of those days, it, it doesn't make sense. They need those four days off to recoup their sleep pattern. We would like to stop that reversing. They should be straight shifts or a longer set where that you work maybe 30 days and then switch. Switching every four days and being forced in because they're short-staffed every two of those days is horrible. And right now they're offering just 2%. What would you like to see? And I, and also, uh, I, I guess they, they are offering a little bit more, but they want to shave some health care healthcare responsibilities here. What, where are we right now with that? Well, they've made a proposal to go into their health insurance plan, which has huge deductibles in it and huge code pays. As you know, Detroit has, because of the unions, have some of the best health insurance across the United States. So they're trying to bring this their health insurance from these other states that maybe don't have as good health insurance as um, Detroit or Michigan. And that was just yesterday. So we were kind of dumbfounded by that, caught off guard, because they said they weren't going to propose their insurance in January. They offered more money to go to their health insurance plan. We said, well, that money should be offered with the existing health insurance we have because what you're offering would actually become a zero zero it out because of all the co-pays and deductibles involved with their health insurance. Mm-hmm. Getting back to that 2% raise, what would you like to see that raise to be? Certainly not 2%. Not 2%. We think for 2022, other unions and other employ- employers are giving bigger raises. We'd like to see somewhere between um, around 20, 22%. Okay. Well, you got a long way to go, buddy. Long way to go here. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, uh, 95% have voted to authorize a strike. When did that happen, and what is the next step here, Steve? We took the vote um, January 30th and 31st, and um, the next step is we're in bargaining this afternoon, and um, tomorrow morning again, so we're going to see what happens there um, with their, it's, and see what happens and make up our mind whether we're going to strike or not. Has there ever been a strike at uh, Local 283 at Marathon before? There was a strike before I was president. I believe it lasted five months, I remember. So it was over 30 years ago, I believe, the strike. So w- workers, obviously, they're fed up. They, they, they've seen enough, they've, they've worked hard enough, and they're just not getting the respect that they should on the job. And I'm, I know you, right, my gosh, 40-plus years as a Teamster and 28 as a president, you're close to the membership. Um, what are you hearing? I mean, is there a lot of, obviously it sounds like there's a lot of solidarity, but maybe you've had a number of conversations. Anything you could share with us here on America's Workforce on, on how committed they are to walking out? Well, before we go on a strike, we're going to try picketing, informational picketing, and passing out flyers and 
trying to get the public on our side. We're going to be contacting Detroit City Council, and we think we're going to try and contact the Baptist ministers of Detroit and different religious groups in support of um, the employees there. Okay, so do a media campaign and involve the community, clergy, yep. and uh, and hopefully that might uh, change the dynamics there. Have you heard anything? I mean, they're probably thinking, oh, these guys are going to walk out. We're going to have to bring in replacement workers, better known as scabs. Yes. You think that might happen here? Well, they generally bring in all their managers from different refineries across the United States. matter of fact, on the 31st, they had their managers – sleeping at the plant. We never used the word strike one time in our bargaining. We thought they would come to the table because um, they kept talking about they want to give people life balance, more time off with their families. And that did not happen in their proposals this time. We were quite surprised. So the managers usually think one of the places, they even brought in food trucks that stayed there for about a week. Crazy. So it was kind of crazy. We said, you know, we've never used the word strike one time. And um, as long as you continue to bargain, even though it's moving slowly, you know, the last thing we want to do is cut off people's paychecks. But we are willing to do that. The members gave us yeah. that authority. You have to do that. And what's national? This is the last question. National, I tell you, you got some powerful leaders there in Washington led by Sean O'Brien. What are they saying about this? They're behind us 100%. They want the members to deserve what they have coming, as you know, they're making billions of dollars. If you make $17 billion in one quarter, they have the money to pay the employees. Yeah. Matter of fact, in all reality, we think that across the United States, the price of gas is ridiculous, but they're charging citizens, especially the citizens of Detroit. How do you make that kind of profit and keep raising the price of gas? I mean, it doesn't yeah. make sense. And then I it know. raises I the price it. of groceries. Price of groceries, I said, you know, anyone that goes to the grocery store, you got two bags, you spent $200, and you're wondering, what did I buy here? And they say, well, that's because of the price of gas that it takes to deliver the groceries here. So yeah. we think Marathon should step up to the plate, help the employees, and help the citizens of the United States by reducing the price of gas. Who needs that kind of record profits? Steve Hicks, president of Teamsters Local 283 in Detroit, Michigan, where workers represented by the local have voted by an overwhelming 95% margin to go on strike. Well, you hang in there, my brother. You got a friend here on America's Workforce, Teamsters, national sponsors. So stay safe and stay strong, okay, brother? Thank you so much. Same to you. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the American Federation of Government Employees and the United Steelworkers. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.